Linus Torvalds mentions, oh, I messed up the pronunciation. I mean, Linus Torvalds mentions that the patches <laughs> were mostly fine with some more fixes added. Uh, yeah, I failed. Most of the American podcasters and all of the English podcasters say Linus, and I know they're wrong. Uh, uh, is it Lib Edweda or Edway? Is it? That's the beauty of Linux. Nobody can like it is improper to come out and take a stand on these things. It's, and I refer you to the time-honored uh, demon Damon debate. We will not have that debate today. <laughs> but it's interesting because that Linus Torvalds doesn't really care about how you pronounce his name. It's true. I've seen a clip of an interview where he said, where he said, well, if he speaks uh, Swedish, it's Yenis. If he speaks uh, Finnish, it's Linus. But if he speaks American, uh, sorry, but when he speaks English, it's Linus. American. <laughs> but sorry, yeah, sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> but what he really cares about is how Linux is pronounced. You mean it's not GNU slash Linux? <laughs> Welcome to Mintcast, a podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. This is episode 383, recorded on Sunday, the 20th of March, 2022. Broadcasting live from my bat cave, I'm Bill. From my tower of song, I'm Moss. And from my bastion of research papers, I'm Norbert. First up in the news, Ubuntu is out fedoring Fedora. Linux 5.18 brings new optimizations. The budgie has landed, and Asahi has its first alpha. In security and privacy, a new specter has arisen. Then in our wanderings, I get jitsy with it. Moss goes down the pie hole, and Norbert hops onto the Fedora bandwagon. Ubuntu 22.04 LTS to carry GNOME triple buffering support. That says Moss right next to it. Does it? <laughs> I thought no, it did. it don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's right there on my screen. <laughs> I've got mine in reading mode, but if yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, my brother. Try refreshing the page. Oh, you must have <laughs> just did that. Yeah, I, I put it on reading mode to avoid seeing your inline edits, Moss. <laughs> Once an editor, always an editor. Okay, Ubuntu 22.04 LTS will be carrying the patches so the GNOME desktop makes use of the on-demand triple buffering support when necessary in order to boost the GPU rendering performance in order to allow for a smoother desktop experience. Talk about long run-on sentences. The GNOME triple buffering code has gone through several revisions and much review over the past two years and does appear close to being mainlined. The patches have successfully doubled the performance for Intel graphics and Raspberry Pi while also improving the situation for other graphics hardware too. What I tried to convey by Ubuntu out Fedora in Fedora is, I think someone said this in, in a Telegram group, is that uh, I think this was supposed to be uh, included in GNOME 42, but it was left out and uh, it was pushed back to GNOME 43. But so, because Fedora tend to stick to upstream closely, I think, but Ubuntu just uh, went ahead and, uh, include, and uh, includes it uh, as a patch in the 22.04 RTS, which is impressive. 
Well, it will have no effect on me because uh, I don't use anything with GNOME. <laughs> Linux 5.18 to bring new Intel drivers optimiz optimization for AMD Epic. Again, from Pharonix. Linux 5.18 is, is very heavy, as usual, with new hardware support and feature additions from both Intel and AMD. Ongoing RISC-V work, switching to the C11 standard from C89, and more. On the Intel side, there is the software-defined silicon functionality, and HFI is being merged, PECI is finally being picked up, and more. On the AMD side uh, is continued work for new hardware enablement, and also there is a scheduler optimization for the kernel that can benefit significantly for select workloads on AMD Epic servers. Many specifics are linked on the website, so we'll go ahead and follow that. I've heard about software-defined silicon, but I didn't quite remember what it was, so I did a quick search. And it says software-defined silicon enables unlocking processor features on a pay-as-you-go basis to minimize upfront costs and enable organizations to add new features without a hardware upgrade. So it's yet another, it's yet another, uh, you don't own what you... It's pay-to-play. Actually own. Yeah, it's pay-to-play. Yeah. They give you a GIMPed processor and then, you know, they make, they make it look like they're magically enabling features as you go along when in actuality you're just getting what you originally paid for in installments. Ridiculous. I've read about, uh, I've read about a car manufacturer uh, turning their seat heating into a subscription-based uh, <laughs> thing. <And> I, <laughs> so that doesn't make any sense. No, but, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't surprise me at all. Which is why we need more uh, open yeah. hardware and open software. We need some like serious money poured into these open instruction set hardware. Which is which is also a current topic about uh, the developers of these open source uh, libraries and such don't getting enough pay for what they yeah. do. Yeah, uh, because because uh, the large companies who are using those. Uh, won't won't pay because they would rather I would imagine they would rather switch to something else than than uh, like donate to the developers, which is kind of sad. Right on. Budget 10.6 is here as its first release under the new organization. This is from its boss. Back in January, co back in January, ex co leader of Solus Joshua Strobel made the headlines after leaving Solus to work on Serpent OS. However, he still wanted to work on the budget desktop environment, so he forked the project in a new repository, and formed the Buddies of Budgie organization. Three months later, the first release since the organization's change has arrived, which we will be looking at here. Here is a general roundup of what's new. Taming refinements, new, new notification system that is independent from the Raven system, code reformatting, other changes include use of tabs instead of spaces, general reformatting of some code, reintroduce support for GNOME 40 to enable Ubuntu LTS support, renaming GNOME Control Center to Budgie Control Center, fixes to enabling Raven thumbnail, causing Raven itself to resize. I remember when I submitted my idea when the the ideas thread was open. I really would like to see the ability to theme the panel independent of the GTK theme, which uh, I don't know if it will be a thing in the near future, but uh, some people did reply that it was a great, great idea. But other than that, uh, the, my impression is that even though they still intend to have Budgie 11 move to uh, 
Enlightenment Foundation libraries, they still want to maintain Budgie 10 series for a longer term. What was wonderful up to this point about Budgie is that it just took the GNOME stack and you could have all the, well, most of the benefits of GNOME development without having to use the GNOME workflow if, you don't, if it's not your cup of tea. But with GNOME 42, it, it will be interesting. Yeah, I've used Budgie originally on Solus, and then for a short while I was actually on the Ubuntu Budgie team, uh, at least in name. And it's it's, a, it's cool, but I just, uh, I'm not sure I see the reason for it. It's lighter weight than GNOME, but it's all really GNOME under the hood. Well, that's the thing. It's a good thing. Because... But people say many things about GNOME, but for example, their uh, their window manager matter is really good. So it, it the performance is really good. But if you're using GNOME, you're stuck with the GNOME shell, unless you want to pump it full of extensions, which might make it less stable and more heavy. And Budgie is basically a way to get around having to use the GNOME shell. And basically... And it's extension free. Yeah. yeah. Asahi Linux alpha release is here. This is from uh, the Asahi Linux blog. We're really excited to finally take this step and start bringing Linux on the Apple Silicon to everyone. Keep in mind that this is still a very early alpha release. It is intended for developers and power users. If you decide to install it, we hope you will be able to help us out by filing bug reports and helping debug issues. Uh, So we're going to all... This is for use on M1 right, Silicon, so and they're hoping it'll work on M2. And we've all got one of those, and we're going to get it installed and <laughs> get on here, and by next week, we'll have a full commentary on it, right? Oh, yeah, I've got tons okay. of Apple equipment yeah. around here. And as far as I know, it works on M1, M1 Max, and uh, the M1. What was the other, other one? Pro, right? Oh, there's an M M1 Mini. Gosh, I don't know. I should... No, well, no, no, not the PCs. The, we're we're the conflating CPUs. the PC with the with the chip. Yeah. The chip is the M1 and the M1B right now, mm. and they're working on the M2. Yeah, as far as I, as far as I know, based on what I read, Asahi Alpha works on N1, M1 Pro, M1 Max, but not yet on the new uh, Mac Studio. So I assume it doesn't work on the M1 Ultra. But I'm not sure if many people would uh, happen to have an M1. Uh, ultra chip yet well as they say whether it works is a matter of opinion <laughs> uh, whether whether it's going to do what you want a distro to do probably not yet this is alpha there's also a list on the blog about what works and what doesn't work so for example it says Wi-Fi works NVMe works power button lit switch and a bunch of other stuff but what doesn't work Everything else, but they didn't think of that part. But most notably, DisplayPort, Thunderbolt, HDMI on the MacBooks, Bluetooth, GPU acceleration. A GPU acceleration is a big problem still, but I think they're working on it really uh, hard. Uh, as well as uh, sleep mode, camera touch bar, neural engine. Wait, so you sleep mode, you can't suspend the OS apparently. I think that's what that means. Okay. Debian 12.0 Bookworm looks like it will release around mid-2023. This is from Foronix. Debian 12 Bookworm is up for a likely release in 2023. The Debian release team has proposed their transition and toolchain freeze to happen around 12th of January 2023. The Debian 12 soft freeze for around 12th of 
the 12th of February, and the full hard freeze to happen around the 12th of March. The actual Debian 12 release would come sometime after that point, usually within a couple months, uh, depending on depending upon how the bug situation plays out. But in any case, it looks safe to expect around the mid-2023 release for Debian 12. Well, I've been running uh, the testing branch, so Debian 12, for a couple of months. Uh, and also, I haven't really been disrupting, so that's probably my oldest installation. Just, just something about Debian that makes me keep it around. It's interesting because I don't know what the Debian release cycle uh, looks like in detail, but I do know that each release will end up on an LTS kernel, or at least they try to end up on an LTS kernel. So for a while it was on 5.15, but it recently got the 5.16 kernel update. So they seem to be uh, keeping up fairly well with the software updates and testing. Well, of course, uh, after the freeze that won't... Uh, but of course, after the freeze there will be only... Uh, bug fixes and security updates. But some, some something interesting that I've read is that they I think they intend to have Pipefire uh, replace Pulse Audio as a default in Debian 12, which uh, I I tried to move to Pipefire on Debian, but I still, there were some paper cards that made me switch back to Pulse Audio. So does any of you have has any of you tried the Debian testing since uh, it moved to 12? I've got a I've got a KVM upstairs with SID on it, and I have not noticed any huge changes like that. Um, or if they did change it, it was just so seamless that I didn't notice because I don't get into the audio settings on that. No, I think it, I I explicitly to, told it to install Pipefire, but then manually switch back because I don't think it just it defaults to it just yet. Oh, okay. But it begs uh, the question of how st- stable SID is at testing. Because people usually say, don't use it because it's unstable, don't use it for everyday stuff, but it's unstable compared to Debian stable. And Debian stable, they spend a lot of time, they spend months after the freeze to get rid of any bugs or uh, un- or or any other problems. So uh, I was talking to someone a few months ago and they said, uh, I don't know who that was, that probably Debian testing is uh, more stable than Arch. And the Debian stable is more stable than Ubuntu stable. Which is interesting. Uh, yeah, that's probably more than accurate because... I thought Ubuntu stable was based on Debian it testing. Is. Uh, it is, yeah. Well, so, so yeah, it would be. Uh, Debian stable is more stable than anything. They... But sometimes stability is not when you're looking for in a desktop. Sometimes other features are what they you're need to change for. that word from stable to static, because that 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 more accurately describes what they're what they're doing when they say stable, because it just means that it's very very slow moving. If if having the up to date software isn't your thing, but you you have a nearly one hundred percent reliability. It doesn't even really, yeah. It, it doesn't even really move, uh, it only gets security updates. And I think the only two exceptions to not having feature updates are Chromium and Firefox ESR. So Debian, the thing about Debian stable is you can install it as a server and literally just let it run with unattended upgrades going and you never have to worry about installing anything else because it all it's going to do is security updates. Yeah, but you still, I, I think you still have to reboot sometimes for the security updates, especially if it's a kernel update. Well, you can set 
unattended upgrades to uh, okay. reboot if there is a uh, kernel upgrade or a video driver upgrade or something like that, which I don't even know if you would get video driver upgrades on uh, Debian stable. Probably, or you can set it not to do kernel upgrades. But. They probably don't get graphics updates because I've seen the NVIDIA driver still being on uh, version 4.16. Right, yeah, so there you go. Well, that's it for the news then. Uh, moving on to the security and privacy updates. Well, the next article is a branch history injection, a new Spectre vulnerability affecting Intel and ARM CPUs. The VU Sec security researchers are today in cooperation with Intel, disclosing another new speculative execution vulnerability. BHI is the name, and it's an offshoot from Spectre V2. BHI is short for Branch History Injection, and when first discovered, was coined as Spectre-BHB by the researchers. A proof-of-concept exploit exists for leaking arbitrary kernel memory on modern Intel CPUs with BHI. ARM CPUs are also affected, while AMD CPUs are not believed to be affected. Besides needing software mitigations for affected Intel and ARM CPUs, the security researchers recommend disabling unprivileged unprivileged eBPF support as an additional precaution. I'm sorry my teeth are slipping. (laughs) That's why we love you, Moss. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah? I'm sure you could think of other ways for loving me than than that my teeth are slipping. (laughs) Oh, gosh. And it looks like we got more. So, uh, Norbert, you could take that one. Uh, so, moving on to the biweekly wanderings. Oh, gosh. Work, work, and more work. Since last med- Mintcast meeting the, the two weeks ago, I've been out to Cape Cod and back twice. Out to Pittsburgh and back four times and uh didn't get very much sleep along the way so i've been kind of in a daze over over the weekend since i've since i've been back home uh last sunday we did stream uh, episode three of three fat truckers at uh, 3 p.m eastern time um you know the the creation and learning process of that show continues to be an odyssey one challenge i attempted to address was the one hour time limit imposed when using the Jitsi Meet stream directly to YouTube functionality because it will do that without the use of OBS Studio. Um, but when you use their free server, you've got a one hour time limit. If you was if you were using your own implementation, you don't have that time limit. Well, the obvious answer there was to self-host the server myself. So I spun up a five dollar Linode. And I use their marketplace option where you can just create a VPS that's purpose built for the application you want to run. Uh, the process was easy enough, I suppose. Um, I got it up and running in less than five minutes and I pointed my domain at it. I, I got a domain from Google just for the Jitsi. Uh, and it works fine for you just running the meeting. You know, it, like, as I've said before, Jitsi is a drop in replacement for Zoom and it works really good. Um, but to stream from it, 
it relies on a component called Gibri, which I think somewhere in there it stands for a some sort of bridge. And what that module does is it essentially creates a virtual participant in the meeting that creates a data bridge somehow or another. I'm I'm probably mangling up how this works. Uh, collects the video and it encodes it on the fly and then streams it up to YouTube. And I wasn't I wasn't really considering how much computing power that would probably take to do when I set up the server um, because you have to you actually have to run a virtualized X session and then an FFmpeg encoder and it even pulls down a window manager to run in the background on a server so it needs bare minimum it needs like a forty dollar uh, Linode or DigitalOcean droplet. And I really, I mean, I wanted the functionality, but I wasn't willing to pay that much. And then, um, oh, and it also needs a Chrome driver. So it has to install Google Chrome and pull the Chrome driver from it, which that I didn't know when I when I went into this whole thing. And that, that kind of um, flies in the face of me wanting to use open source software. So it's kind of it's kind of led me to try other options. Now, the reason I didn't just use OBS Studio, like we're doing right here. Um, I've got the way this works, dear listener, if you don't know already. Um, I've got a window up on one of my monitors with all three of our videos in Discord. And then I am streaming using OBS Studio. It's not a screen capture. It's, a, it's an application capture. It's just capturing the one application and streaming it to YouTube. And the reason I haven't, I've not chose to do that is because I wanted to use that functionality in Jitsi where it zooms in on the person that's talking. And then the people, the, the other people in the meeting are kind of in a uh, little uh, frame thing off to the side. And that works really good. It, it almost gives the appearance that there's a professional uh, camera crew in place and people are managing you know who's who's getting focused on because it just zooms in the second the person starts talking it's a little more complicated than that but it seems to work pretty good um i couldn't i i haven't been able to work out how to get that working right when i'm using another piece of software to uh stream that up to youtube so i've got to do a little bit more work on that and i may uh decide to just install it on my bare metal server behind me and use that but you know i'm still dead in the middle of all of that my time is is so uh is so little these days but the linode thing's not going to really work out because i i really don't want to spend 40 dollars a month for a for a, a vps to just to run jitsi every two weeks for an hour or two so i'm gonna try other things um yeah so yesterday during our, during our meeting um, on the same weeks that we record the show, the actual show, um, we have a meeting at three o'clock on Saturdays where we don't stream and we talk about, well, we're supposed to talk about what we're going to do on the show, but it ends up being a free for all. Usually, um, we took them, uh, well, it, we ended up, uh, getting Moss set up with pie hole on his home network. I think it went pretty good. I, I I gotta say it. I was a little concerned. It yeah. worked. That's what yeah, and matters. it worked first time. There was nothing. There was no problems anywhere along the line that we had to work out. You were, I think you uh, 
you might have been a little concerned with your ability to follow along, but I think you you knew exactly what we were telling you the first time, and there was nothing that had to be done over. So that was, in fact, that that went better yeah. than the first time I tried to install it myself. So. Um, yeah, well, I know how my brain works, and every time a group of instructions gets longer, I never know when it's going to shut off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. now I get it. Yeah, for anyone who is interested uh, in a network-wide ad and tracker blocking on their home network, Pi-Hole is a fantastic option. Uh, the only op- There is other options out there, but Pi-Hole is by far in my opinion, the best. It's it's open source. It's very little. It requires very little from the user except just owning a Raspberry Pi, but you could, in theory, install it on anything. Arch, in fact, has a package you can get to install it and run it as a background service on your machine, and you just tell your machine to use the loopback device as the uh, DNS, and then you got Pi-hole just running right there in the background on on your laptop or desktop, and and it seems to work pretty good. I used to use it. Anyway, we will be recording a new episodes of Three Fat Truckers next Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. So if anybody would like to check that out, we appreciate any and all audiences. Though keep in mind, it is not necessarily family friendly. The language can get a little rough sometimes. Though we are, well, I say we, I'm considering cleaning it up a little bit because I I go back and I watch some of these episodes and I thought maybe one of those other guys would be the biggest culprits, but turns out it's me. So, I don't know, maybe maybe I should probably clean it up a little bit and maybe I'll get a, a wider audience range, I don't know. So, if you're inclined to check us out, we enjoy partaking in the live chat while the show is going on. We all three have the live chat up while we're talking. So I uh, look forward to seeing anybody there. But that's pretty much all for me. What about you, Moss? Well, my new power supply for my Pi 3B that we were just talking about did not manage to find its way into my mailbox. I called and reported it to whoever I needed to report things to. And it showed up four days later, having spent time in a neighbor's mailbox. So they delivered it to the right address, just the wrong box. So yesterday, Bill and Joe helped me get the Pi hole set up. It wasn't as easy as Bill said, but we didn't get it wrong. It has been interesting to see what it does and does not block. In fact, I'm still wondering what it blocks, because most of the things I was looking forward to seeing go away haven't. But I'll have to study that. What is it supposed to be? But it is also the tracking being blocked, so that's a good thing. What is it you were hoping would go away? Well, on some of my apps on my phone where there's a little line of ad at the bottom, I thought that would go away. YouTube pop-up ads in the middle of a show, I thought that would go away, since I, since ad block takes them away when I'm on my uh, uh, desktop or laptop. You might have some caching going on there on that device. Maybe clear out the caches for those applications and, uh, and then restart the okay, phone. Okay, I'll check yeah. on that. Okay, last weekend, my wife and I took a trip to Central South Carolina to go play music with old friends. The weather looked nasty for Saturday's trip, so we left Friday and crashed at a motel, which was the other side of the mountains, which would have made travel in bad weather difficult. We had a great time, had a long drive home Sunday. Our cats were unharmed. Have to make sure of that one. (laughs) 
On Monday, we had to return our rental car. Uh, we had our car in the shop for a while. We had a 30-day limit covered by the car insurance, and the car is not done yet. They found, well, it was really bad because they found that uh, there was another accident that had been covered up prior to selling us the car, and we have to pay to get that fixed, which is also not fun. It's going to wind up costing us around $3,100 for the repair, but about 1300 of that is covered by insurance. So, let's see. Those of us who are using Kodi plugins may find issues arising in the plugins from time to time. It's as if they're not being updated, and that's probably true. Adam Lackman, who ran tvaddons.co, lost his lawsuit in Canada, brought by the major internet providers, to the tune of $19.5 million and an admission of piracy. Somebody hit their mic. Was that me? Yeah, me. I'm sorry. <laughs> My finger just <laughs> barely brushed it. <laughs> okay. I was leaning into my mic, so I didn't know if I hit it with my headphones. Um, a similar case in the U.S. was outright dismissed. It's like, he provides a place to post plugins. The plugins provide access to streams. He is not actually hosting the content. He's just hosting the access to things that also provide access to the content. See, they'll, <laughs> lawsuits like these are oftentimes, I think, just done to try to create some precedent where they can go after these people. You know, I don't know. It probably, it'll probably never go anywhere, but well, I hope it does. Well, if the if the U.S. case went somewhere, it would have been a lot more money. But the Canada case did get finished, and he had to literally admit being a pirate. And he's got a $19.5 million judgment against him. I don't know how he's going to pay that, because he was having the users of uh, TV add-ons uh, donate towards his legal fees. He had to admit he was a pirate? Yeah. Oh, so he pirated the code he used to make the add-on. He didn't pirate anything. Ah, so he I think put he up ought a to fire his lawyer. He yeah, he encouraged people who were making Cody plugins to post their plugin to his website so that there would be a place to store the plugin. And then the plugin itself allowed you to go look for streams. Yeah, that's not pirating. Uh, yeah, he, he was not hosting anything, yeah. just the plugins. Anyhow, um, we've got Distro Madness going on on itsmoss.com. Uh, we're probably in the second round uh, tomorrow. But uh, we've been holding off because we haven't been publishing episodes, and so nobody knows we're doing it. Uh, Full Circle Weekly News, episode 253, just hit today. I hope you're enjoying the show. I inherited that from Leo. And we'll be doing episode 31 of Distro Hopper's Digest this Wednesday with Tony, Dale, and Josh. Hawk. And that's next to Norbert. What's the word for that when, in a sentence, each word starts with the same letter? Because you said... Uh, provides a place to post plugins. <laughs> There's a word for that? Uh, I'm from the American Association Against Li Alliterative Abuse, and you have been cited. <laughs> there must be a word for it. There's a word for everything. That seems to be. Anyhow, so I'm running Fedora 36 with GNOME 42. The shell interface looks way nicer. Uh, of course, the, the rounded corners are gone from the, from the panel, which is also supposed to uh, improve performance. And the drop-down menus for the calendar and the settings menu, as well as the 
the password and shut down pop-up windows look way nicer. Integrate better now with the, the with the new Libet Beta theme. And I think that was one of the things that looked dated to me. The, if you go to the settings, a drop down in the top right and the calendar in the middle, they now don't have those uh, those triangles. So it's not like text, uh, not, like, not like speech bubbles, but just around the uh, menus. But still no app indicators. Uh, still no app indicators, ah. but I've heard some. I've heard something about them reintroducing them, but just not on the panel. It's it's. Uh, if I can get app indicators without a uh, plugin, I, I I will be happy. Yeah. Because I just I just uh, moved to not using any extensions on GNOME. I wanted to see. I, I did it before, but now I'm doing it full time on both devices where I use GNOME. Uh, quitting stuff like Discord or Telegram isn't a big issue because if in those apps I just press Ctrl Q, then it will kill them as if I just close them from the tray. But on my tablet, when I don't have uh, the keyboard, which uh, is broken now, I have to go into the system monitor and look for the Discord or Telegram uh, service and press skill process. So it's not perfect. I would be really happy if I could have uh, app indicators. And on my tablet, I don't really want to turn on extensions because I think Leo said that it's not just how many extensions you have, even if you have the extension support, so the main toggle, the master toggle turned on in the extensions app, it will decrease performance in GNOME. So after that, I've been experimenting with it, so I turned them off everywhere because my tablet is weaker than my laptop. And I think it's it's fairly smooth. I'm not sure if it's much smoother than before, but it is smooth. And speaking of Fedora, I haven't used the hobby in over a month, and now I'm running it on all my devices. So I went all in on Fedora. I must say it's probably the best distro I've used. Well, it's probably the best distro I've used uh, for someone who is coming from Arch because it, Arch just happened to be the one that I was most familiar with. Well, Fedora's package management is kind of different than Arch. People say I like how fast Arch's uh, package manager is, but I think Fedora is, is doing a lot more stuff in the background when you upgrade, which in a way, uh, I kind of gotten used to it being t- taking a little longer, but it's also reassuring in a way. Because if it's doing more things in the background, I think it, it must be also taking care of things not breaking. And uh, the fact that it's not a rolling release, so you still have to uh, do major upgrades from between versions uh, is also like a safety net for stability. So I don't really see myself, I think I said this before, but I don't really see myself disrupting uh, anytime soon, which is a big uh, achievement considering how in the past year I've been disrupting every few months, sometimes every few weeks. But I've always kept falling back to Arch, but now Fedora seems to be taking that spot for me. So I'm really satisfied with it. Well, other than Linux stuff, uh, I've been looking at a lot of papers again for my university studies. Uh, my uh, my thesis topic uh, did end up uh, being related to genetics and genomics, but not the uh, genomes of uh, ancient humans that I mentioned months ago, but uh, the phylogenetic relationships so, of, fungi, of fungi, so the tree of life of fungi, how they are related specifically dating the tree, which is an interesting concept because uh, every time evolution is doing its own thing, it's always random. But uh, when you see uh, these diverging branches in the tree of life, it's always a, it's always a two-way uh, fork. It's always splits in two, not more than two at once. Because let's say, for example, there's a example I come usually bring up. Let's say there's a, a community of snails, a species of snails 
somewhere in the forest or a, or, a, or a field. And let's say that somehow a mountain or a lake appears and divides those snails into two groups. There's a, there's a flood and the snails end up dividing in two. So now there is not really any interaction between those two groups of, groups of snails. And they slowly start evolving differently. So after enough times, enough hundreds of thousands of millions of years, they won't be able to, even if they met, they won't be able to reproduce. So they're not compatible. They're two different species. So that's one of these uh, forks in the tree. But uh, this is one question. What is uh, branching off and where? The other question is when it branches off. So what uh, my field, sort of field is, is uh, trying to uh, figure out uh, that these branches, when do they happen in time? Because if you find a fossil in the ground of some species, that confirms that at the specific time when that fossil, you, uh, if you can determine the age of the fossil, you know that at specific point of time that species existed. So the species must have come into existence earlier than that. But that so that's a lower time limit. You know that compared to now, it can't have happened uh, later because it was there. But the upper limit, how far back you can go and still be sure that the species existed. The thing about fossils is that it doesn't really, it isn't really enough to know the fossils we have because there's probably a lot of fossils we don't, we haven't found yet. So it's basically that uh, scientists are trying to guess, calculate where these branches happened to narrow down the, the time window where it could have happened by looking at the genes and the genomes because, and trying to figure out how fast the evolution is happening. It can sometimes slow down or speed up between varying species, so it's really it's really hard. And they have uh, quite a few uh, models and algorithms uh, that do this, even uh, uh, very uh, computationally extens uh, extensive uh, algorithms, which weren't really viable in two, 20 or 30 years ago, but are viable now. So this is an interesting field, and uh, it's kind of a deep rabbit hole. Uh, so we'll go ahead and wrap up. Livestream information is at mintcast.org slash livestream. If you see something you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us an email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post at the Mintcast subreddit. Chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly at mintcast.org. I'm Bill. Uh, you can get a hold of me at bill at mintcast.org. Drop me an email. Or I'm Bill underscore H on Discord. I'm uh, at WC Hauser 3 on the Twitter and at WC Hauser 3 on the Facebook. Also, check out my new podcast at 3ftpodcast.org. Well, you can find me every week on Full Circle Weekly News and about once a month on Distro Hoppers Digest. You can email me at bardmoss at pm.me. And my other contact information is on itsmoss.com. You can send me an email at norbert at mintcast.org. Uh, so Joe couldn't be here with us, uh, but uh, if you want to get a hold of him, it's uh, tllts.org. Which uh, is the Linux, the Linux Link Tech Show, I think. Yeah, Linux Link Tech Show. That's his other podcast. Uh the email, or well, the, the website for that is linuxlugcast.com. Uh, That's another webcast, uh, podcast. Yes. He has two. 
<laughs> as we all seem to have at least two. Uh, well, most of us. Uh, me, we. Uh, he's also. You can also email him at jb at mintcast.org or you can buy him a coffee and the link to that is in the show notes as well josh t josh thacker could not be with us today you can email him at jt at mintcast.org he's josh thacker on mint or on discord and at metal underscore foss on twitter josh on tech couldn't be here with us as uh, either you can email him at joshontech at mincast.org, at joshontech on Twitter, and most other social sites. And he's also on an, another uh, podcast in the Mintcast family called Crowbar Colonel Panic. He has also been on the last three Distro Hoppers Digest, yes, and he will has. be on the next one. Uh, Nishant could not be here. Uh, you can email him at nashant at mincast.org. He's Rikon Ghost on Instagram, Rikon Ghost at GitHub, Ghost.Rikon on Discord, and Maverick00783 at Steam. Before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Josh Lowe for all his work on the website, Hopstar for our logo. Annette RD for the animated Discord logo, and Londoner for our time sync. Norbert and Tony Hughes for our audio editing of the show. Bitemark Hosting for hosting Mintcast.org and our mumble server. Archive.org for hosting our audio files. And last but not least, the Linux Mint development team for all the fine distro we love to talk about each fortnight. Thanks, Thanks Clem. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music, and thanks for listening to this episode of The Mint.